Well, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, welcome back to Round the Rank. This is week 12, episode 12 of Round the Rank. I am your host, as usual, Wesley Minky. Uh, joining me today, we have a special guest. Um, you know, we're all big fans of Columbus Blue Jackets, and uh, today we get to join one of the guys who calls every game for the Columbus Blue Jackets, play-by-play man on the radio, Bobby Mack. How are we doing, Bob McGilligan? I'm doing well, Wesley. How are you? I'm doing great. So, um, you know, I, I'm really interested to know, uh, what are your favorite memories or favorite stories you have uh, from Blue Jackets and then also from, you know, the two other teams you've called, the Syracuse Sky Chiefs and now turned Syracuse Mets and then the Syracuse Crunch. Any cool stories you can share with us? Well, I probably about a million of them. <laughs> uh, Narrowed down for me. I mean, there, there are just so many, um, uh, you know, to go back uh, to that time when I was in Syracuse and I was doing AAA baseball and American Hockey League, uh, hockey at the same time. I mean, it was, it, you know, it was 10 years and it was 10 years. It was a great time, but it was, um, I tell people all the time, I think when you're doing stuff in the minor leagues, you're always looking ahead for, you know, what's next. When am I going to get that break? Am I going to get that break? Um, and you don't really, you don't appreciate as much what you have while you're there and what you're going through, uh, while you're there. So, uh, you know, to me, it's, all the stories have to do with the same thing, whether it's in the NHL or AHL, AAA baseball, single A baseball, it's the people that you meet along the way. Right. And it's all of the, uh, you know, it's all the time you spend together in the minor leagues when you're on the bus. And, and that's really more of a, you know, that that's really more of a time where you get to know everybody and you feel like you're really a part of it because there's no media lurking around except for one newspaper writer in the city. And, uh, you know, it's the coaches and the trainers and you, and you're, you're kind of part of the staff and, and then there's the players. And, uh, so it's, I mean, there are, Oh my gosh, Wesley, there's so many things that happened there and, uh, you know, so many good times and put me on the spot with, uh, specific stories. I, I think in baseball, you know, when talking about people, one of the most special things was Deion Sanders actually played for our team for a couple of weeks. And this was back, he was still playing in the NFL and he was kind of in this contract dispute with the, uh, with the Washington Redskins. So uh, everybody knew that he had to go to Redskins camp when it opened or he was going to forfeit like millions of dollars if he didn't show up. Right. And he was pretending that he wasn't going to show up and, and they were pretending they didn't want him to show up. So yeah, it was one of those deals, but uh, one of my favorite stories about having D on there is it, we were on a road trip. We were in uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island, and then we went, or we were in Ottawa, and then we went to Pawtucket, Rhode Island. So we got to Ottawa, and no one ever cared about that team, but yet there were a million reporters there the day we pulled in to talk to Dion. So uh, it was getting close to when he was going to have to make his football decision. I knew his time was coming to an end. I hadn't bugged him for an interview. I just let him be him. He was very quiet. He wasn't flamboyant like you see on TV. And uh, then in Ottawa, I, I said to him, I said, hey, Dion." I'd like to get an interview with you at some point on this trip. Would that be all right? And he goes, absolutely. When do you want to do it? I said, your call. He goes, well, we'll do it Saturday after batting practice. Perfect. That's when we'll do it. It was all set. So the way he was handling things is when we would go into a city, he would have one day that he designated he would meet with the media. And that was it. Like if we were there for three days, you get one. If you're not there, see you. So we got into Pawtucket on a Friday. You know, all these Boston reporters were there and they, you know, they came and they got all their stuff. And, uh, that wasn't my day. So I didn't say a word to him. I, in fact, he said to me that day, he goes, are we doing today? I said, you said tomorrow. He goes tomorrow. That's right. We'll do tomorrow. So the next day, uh, it's batting practice. And there's one guy from Boston that wasn't there on Friday that came down one TV sports guy. And he was there on Saturday and he was on the field and 
Dion was taking batting practice and he was on about getting an interview. And Dion said, no, man, I did it yesterday. I said, I told everybody yesterday was the day today. I'm playing baseball. I'm just doing this guy's hounding him and hounding him. And he's like, nope, I'm not doing any interviews. And I'm standing on the other foul line going, oh, this is, this is not good. This guy's going to make him mad. I'm out. You know, this, he got done taking his round of BP and he looked at me and he goes, you ready? And we went right to the dugout and we sat there. That guy was fuming on the field, <laughs> but uh, Hey, I got my interview, but I set it up with him. So again, it's the advantage of being around the team and, and uh, you know, being one of the guys, if you will, when it comes to that, you know, the same was true with uh, hockey. We had a lot of guys that came down over the years, a lot of guys that were coming to the end of their career. The Blue Jackets sent down, you know, Espen Knutson finished in Syracuse. Uh, Bill Lindsay came to Syracuse and finished. Jamie Pusher finished there. I mean, um, there were a lot of guys that came down all the time and uh, they always came down with pretty good spirits, believe it or not, which was a good thing because that's not always the case when you get sent down from the National Hockey League. So, uh, yeah, there's people's stories. I could we could fill up a week with me telling stories. Uh, some of them, uh, some of them I probably can't tell. Some of them I wouldn't tell, and uh, some of them you'd get sick of. But there are a ton of them. Yeah. So you're you're very well known for uh, obviously your goal calls and uh, obviously ending the game with you know there's that's two words for you game over. <laughs> uh, but I, I want to know what what's your favorite one to call goal wise? Who's your favorite player to uh, use your catchphrase um, for them? Who's that guy? And then. The other one is I'll, I'll let you I'll let you answer that question. But then after that, you ha you had a goal call uh, a little while back. Flapjacks on a Ferris wheel. Where did that come from? How did that start? Give me the whole whole run around on that one. I, that was the first one, to be honest with you. That, and I I did that in Syracuse one time, and I you know I heard it on a TV show somewhere, and I was just like, that's weird. And uh, you know I, I it's no secret I was born in Pittsburgh. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh. I listened to Mike Lang my entire life, and. Um, you know, when I was in Syracuse, I was just looking to do something different. And I heard that phrase. And one day, you know, somebody scored and I used it. And then somebody said, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, really doesn't mean anything, but you remembered it. Right. So that was, that was the key to it. So then I, then I just started picking up stuff and I would hear in conversation, watching a movie, uh, watching TV, listening to a song. And, and there were, and I know that, you know, Mike Lang was a big uh, blues guy. He, he enjoyed blues music. And I know that a lot of his stuff, he got out of songs. So then stuff just started coming to me. I mean, my only thing was you don't copy something that somebody else uses. Okay. You can do the same thing. You can be accused of being a copycat or whatever you want to, but it's gotta be your material. It's gotta be your stuff. Uh, you can't take somebody else's stuff. So I, that was the very first one uh, that I came up with. And and over the years, I've kind of morphed it more toward, um, you know, the players and trying to come up with something specifically for them. So, um, you know, I one of my new favorites, and I, I didn't use this, maybe I started it last year or maybe I started it this year. I, uh, when Oliver Bjork's, Bjorkstrand goals, I like saying, good golly, it's Ollie, because, you know, some of his goals are just like that. You you don't see him getting into that area of the ice where he's going to be there to get the pass because he's not really a come up the ice and score off the rush guy a lot. He's kind of a I'm in the background, in the background. I'm in the right spot. The puck's on my stick and now it's behind you. So it's kind of surprising many times when he when he scores. So I like that one. Uh, I That's my dad's personal favorite. Is good <laughs> and, uh, I think my two favorites are uh, that's one of those things that makes you go boo. Yeah, people like that one. Yeah. Yeah, my other one I like is uh, you don't know Jack for Jack Ross. <laughs> I don't know what it is about that news. It makes me makes me laugh every time. 
Well, and, and that one, that one's morphed because, you know, that was originally a Jack Johnson and he didn't score all the time. <laughs> Jack Roslevic does tend to score a little bit more than Jack Johnson did. So it actually works better, but uh, yeah, I, I like that one too. Um, you know, especially when, when Jack gets a goal, like uh, against the Maple Leafs, he got a backdoor power play goal. And, you know, again, it was kind of a surprise because pucks on one side of the ice, all of a sudden Jack's all by himself on the other side. So he can really hammer it home when they score a goal like that. Yeah, so let's get into more Jackets talk here. Um, how important do you believe, you know, the match ceremony just happened, Jersey retirement on Saturday? Um, I was at that game. It was an incredible ceremony, really, really honored. Uh, Nash, I think, very well and show off his accomplishments. How, how much do you think that helps a franchise like Columbus um, for players to look forward to and, like, look and see, you know, this is a guy who represents our city, our team, uh, and he'll be in the Raptors forever? Well, I, I think it's, yeah, it's kind of twofold when it comes to that. I think for the team that's here now, you don't have any guys that played with Rick, but now that Rick's back with the organization as the director of player development, look, they all knew who Rick Nash was when he played, right? And some of them have played against him, but there was no doubt when they were younger and they were growing up, Rick Nash was a superstar in the National Hockey League. Now he was in Columbus, so he wasn't in one of the big markets until he got traded to the Rangers. So maybe he didn't get as much publicity as some of the other guys did at that time, but they knew those hockey players knew. I mean, he was on the, the video game cover for crying out loud. So it, it wasn't like he was a secret. And I think for them to have him around now and, and players tell me this all the time, um, no matter what the organization is, when you have those alumni guys that are around and, and they are back and, and they're part of something and, and some organizations, it's, it's more than others, right? I mean, if you go to Detroit, and you've got all those guys around. They won Stanley Cups. I know Rick didn't win a cup here, but Rick had tremendous success here, and now he's back here and working for the organization. It's a start, and there are other guys that are working for the organization too. So um, what they can see is, number one, players that played here that want to spend the rest of their lives here with their families uh, after they're done playing, no matter where they went, they're coming back to Columbus. So I think that's a good thing. But the other thing about it is uh, I think that those players – I hope that those players feel like I did because they got to see on full display um, the appreciation of the fan base to one of the, if not the greatest player that's ever worn the uniform to this point. Uh, they got to see that love and affection with the fans. They got to see Doug McLean come back, who was the original general manager who traded up to, to draft Rick. And I thought it was great that Doug was back because at the end of his tenure, when he got let go here, uh, you know, he went through, um, you know, he got painted in a bad light uh, and, you know, that that time was then and this time is now. But Doug did a lot of great things here to get the Blue Jackets off the ground and get it started. And I think that just because of the way it ended, um, people can forget about that. But I also think that a lot of the fans that were in attendance, let's be honest, Wesley, I mean, um, a lot of people became fans and, and big time fans during the four-year playoff run under John Tortorella, and that wasn't that long ago. So not all of those people are going to remember those early years and the winning and the losing and if Doug McClain made the right draft pick or he didn't make it. So I was glad to see that he got really appreciated by the people that were in the building. I felt like it was kind of, a, you know, you, you can kind of – the circle's complete there. You know what I mean? He's yeah. – uh, He's back to where he was when he started with the franchise. Not that he was ever anywhere else. Maybe we just perceive that he is. I'm around the writers that wrote the things all the time. So maybe that's why I feel that way. Um, you know, for Ken Hitchcock to come back, he was the first coach that got this team into the Stanley Cup playoffs. The players were able to sit and watch that appreciation. They watched the history. They were 
if they didn't know a lot of the history, they were educated on a lot of it that night. And I thought the speeches were great. Um, you know, Aaron Johnson was a star with his speech. Uh, as he said in his speech, he wasn't always a star when he played for the Blue Jackets, but he was a star in what he did. Uh, he's back working in the front office, doing a lot of great things here to take care of the players. Um, I, I just thought the whole thing was tremendous. And, and I think that, you know, I think there were a lot of people in that crowd that started playing hockey when they were young because of Rick Nash. And many of them probably wore number 61 in whatever house league they were playing in or whatever travel team they were playing for. And, and now many of them are adults. Maybe some of them have their own kids now that are coming along. And they were there to see that and relive that history themselves. I thought the entire spectacle was nothing but amazing. I thought it was great for Columbus. I think it's great for the Blue Jackets. I think it's great for the Nash family. And I think that it is, uh, I think it's great to really, as you kind of alluded to here, you know, you just pointed out to the hockey world that here's a guy that appreciated and, and his numbers going to the rafters for the very first time. And you come here, you play hard and yeah, this can be you. Yeah. I was reading a lot of things um, that weekend that kind of followed it. Just hearing people say, who's the next guy. Um, who's the next person to get their jersey retarding Columbus? A lot of people were saying Felino's that guy, you know, after the way he was dealt, he wasn't really like happy being dealt that way. Maybe Cam Atkinson, maybe Sergey Bobrovsky, you know, one, two business here left on his own terms, not really a good sign uh, to the Columbus fans, but again, played a great career here while he was here. In your opinion, who is the next guy? If there is one right now, I mean, you could say no, obviously, but is there a guy that, you know, has a chance to be the next guy to get his jersey retired? What? I don't know. I was thinking about that, to be honest with you. And I was thinking about Nick because Nick was here and, and Nick is so appreciated by the fans. And, you know, that would make sense. It's all going to depend upon what the criteria is to get your jersey retired. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's not just something you should do for everybody. Uh, there really should be a criteria that you have to meet. Uh, and, hey, start winning Stanley Cups. And then guess what? All of a sudden, there'll be a lot of them. But uh, I think if Sergey Bobrovsky would have finished his career here, um, regardless of winning a Stanley Cup, I think he would have been a shoe in to have his foot up there. I, I don't know now. You know what I mean? Again, so I, I'm not sure. I, I Nick is a good emotional front runner when you ask me today. Um, whether that pans out or it doesn't pan out, I have no idea. But uh, he would be uh, he'd be certainly on the list. And hey, look, a guy like Zach Wierenski, you know, depending, you know, he just signed a long term contract. Who knows with him? I mean, you know, he's what career leader in points as a defenseman. I mean, and his contract's just going to start kicking in. He could do a lot of good things. That number eight someday could be hanging there. You never know. I was talking to a lot of my buddies about that, too. I said, you know, if you're going to think of a guy who may be flying under the radar, could be the next guy to do it. I think Wierenski's the guy because, like you said, I mean, he's committed long term, at least for the for the meantime, uh, to being in Columbus. I think he, he if he keeps the. The trend he's at right now keeps getting better and better, keeps getting up the same amount of points, uh, keeps getting league recognition. I think he's one of those guys. But let's speak on the current team. Uh, I mean, guys like Andrew Peak have stepped up tremendously this year. I was talking to my friends as well about this. Uh, you know, Peak last year was one of those kind of third-line floater defensemen, never really got his spot on the roster confirmed. And this year he stepped up. He's been a first-line guy for what feels like almost a month now, uh, maybe more. Um, and I'm a big fan of Andrew Peak. I was a big fan last year. I was telling everybody – you know, I think this guy's the truth. He could be the he could be the future uh, Seth Jones kind of mold. Not as much offensively, but I think defensively he's one of the best. Um, and on the PK, he's insane. Can you just speak on his development over the past year? 
Yeah, it's, it's been huge in the past year because going into training camp, we thought that he would make the top six, but it, nothing was assured whether he was going to or whether he wasn't. And then he makes the team because what he showed in training camp is that he was going to play physical style this year. Uh, look, they went to him and they said, if you want to make this team and if you want to stay on this team, this is how we need you to play. And maybe that's not exactly the way he wanted to play, but it didn't matter. They told him, here's how you can do it. He said, I want to be here. I want to be a part of this. I'm going to do it. And he's done it all year. And like you said, you know, you get some injuries and especially Jake Bean with his long-term injury. And all of a sudden, Andrew Peak jumps up from the third pair to the top pair. And he's playing with Zach Wierenski. And some nights he's played over 30 minutes a night, which would, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year, Andrew Peak's going to play 28 to 30 minutes in the game. I would have said, well, then there's going to be six guys hurt or five guys hurt because yeah. there ain't no way. But he is, and he, and he has done it, and he's done a, a terrific job. Long-term, is he that guy on the top pair with Zach Wierenski? I don't know if he is or not, but I don't care because right now he is. He's doing a great job. I know he's going to be part of the mix uh, no matter what's going on, and he is really – yeah, like if, if you said to me right now, you need to give me a name for the most improved player on this team, Andrew Peak's my guy. Yeah, I agree completely, and, and like I said, that PK, uh, he's really stepped up. He's taken a – uh, a control of that PK unit. I feel like ever since he's really gotten control and really gotten recognition for that, it's only gotten better. Those units have only really gotten better. The jackets have looked a lot better on the PK as of late. Um, but speaking of, I, I, I kind of overheard you saying physicality kind of in a way there. Um, he, he has to play that physical brand of hockey outside of guys like him, Sean Corrali, Boone Jenner, Max Domi. There's not much physicality on the team. There's not much, you know, hitting, uh, wanting to throw the body around. Does this team have to be, you know, out physicaling other teams in a way? Uh, to win games. It's the brand of hockey we've seen from the Columbus Blue Jackets forever, it feels like. W what's that got to be this year? Well, to be honest with you, there's not that much hitting in the National Hockey League anymore. Let's let's be completely honest about that. Outside of a couple of guys that are, you know who they are. Tom, when Tom Wilson comes, you better be looking over <laughs> your shoulder. You're going to get hit, right? Um, but the guys that you mentioned, those are the guys that step to the forefront. You know, the funny thing is, when you, I could say physicality, and I could put Zach Berensky into that into that category and if you're just off the top of your head thinking how could you put zach Wierenski in there watch zach play and just watch the number of times he gets the body on a guy he doesn't thump him with a big hit it, it could be this it could be a, a forearm shiver there just enough to slow somebody down make them stop make them cut make them turn the way they don't want to turn he's really good at that and you know what else he's really good at him not getting hit like when Wayne Simmons hit him in that Toronto game a couple of weeks ago and he got hurt and he had to come out for four games, that is rare. He very seldom, if ever, gets hit because he just knows how to turn away from it, get out of the way at the right time. But that's the kind of physicality. That's all that this team really has to have. It's great if you have the guys that are going to do that other stuff. And once in a while, you need that. But I had a conversation with Sean Corrali about this just before the game in Chicago a few weeks ago. And I asked him about that aspect. And he said, look, being physical doesn't mean that you got to knock a guy off his skates. Just like, especially with defensemen that can skate really well. If you can forecheck them and if you can bump them, if you can just get the body on them, even if it's a little bit, it's the difference between them taking their first two quick strides and getting out of the zone and having to stop or restart or whatever it is. It's just going to disrupt the entire flow of the play. So when we talk about physicality, physicality with this team, uh, yeah, there are those guys that stand out and Max Domi will fight if he has to fight and all that. And Gavin Bayreuther had a couple of fights crying out loud. But overall, 
They're not really physical. That's the kind of physicality they need to play. It's just that just keep, let them know you're there. As I said, in slap shot, right? Let them know you're there. Get your stick in them. Let them know you're there. They got to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've always used the phrase, like, you know, they just gotta be pests. They gotta, they gotta yeah. put you off really. That's all they really got to do. Um, I, I want to talk on strong Corrales. I, I like how you mentioned there. I feel like this year with the Jackies, he's taking some sort of kind of like a leadership role, kind of like the hometown kid leadership role um, for guys like Cole Sillinger. You know, I just think that's a cool, cool method. Can you speak on how, how much better he's gotten over this past year? Well, you know, I don't know how much better he's gotten because I, we didn't see him play with the Boston Bruins every day. I can tell you when we played the Boston Bruins in the playoffs, he was an effective player. There's no doubt about that. So I, I can tell you this. That was a great free agent signing. And it was something both sides wanted. And they both got it. And Sean Corrales, to me, is in, has been invaluable for this team. And I, I've said this for weeks. Whenever somebody needs to get their game going, just put them on Sean's line. Uh, he did it early in the year with Alexander Texier. Texier started centering the first line. Didn't work out. He wound up on the wing with Corrali and Eric Robinson, and those guys were beasts when they played together. Um, Igor Chinikov, they needed to get him going. They took Texier off there, put Chinikov on there. He got going on that line. You know, right now, he's got Justin Danforth and Max Domi on the line, and they, are, they, they swing the momentum of a game. You know, in fact, Danforth just got a two year contract extension. He should take Sean Corrali out to dinner because he's a part of that. Believe me, uh, <laughs> Justin's working his butt off. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I mean, that line is really, really prominent. And the key is they're all playing with Sean Corrali. And I don't think that that's something that should go unnoticed because this guy works hard. And when you play with him, you know, you got to work. You're not going to take a shift off. And um, for Sean, Really, he loves being here. Yeah, he's got increased ice time more than he got in Boston, more responsibility that he got in Boston. And everybody, every player wants that. They really do. But this guy gets to do it playing at home for the team that he grew up cheering for. And again, this was important to him to come back here and pull on that jersey. So when you put it all together, I think Sean Corrales is kind of living a dream right now. Yeah, I talked about it with Jeff a few weeks ago. Um Jeff Rimmer. I, I mean, guys, Sean Corelli is honestly having probably one of the better seasons out of any jacket. Uh, there was a stretch there where I think he was one of the only players that was a, a plus in the plus minus category. Um, that just speaks to how good he's been on the ice. I and mean, he, he's literally turned the tide. And like you said, playing with Danforth and Domi, I hate to call it the energy line, but that's what I preferred to it as. Is, I mean, that's the energy line. Like you said, they swing the momentum. They change the flow of the game. Uh, they give the jackets a chance to win. Speak on the recent play, though, of a guy who stepped up like crazy, that guy being Patrick Line. I mean, we talk about contract extensions with Danforth getting one today, two years. I mean, a guy, there's one guy that's due for one. That's Patrick Line. What do you think on that? Well, I think he gets one as long as the, the term and the money are going to mesh with what the Blue Jackets need to do long term with their salary cap. Um, they don't, I don't believe they want him to go anywhere. Uh, Yarmo Kekalainen was quoted in an article recently, uh, you know, being pretty blunt about uh, the fact that he didn't like that people were kind of making up rumors that Line could go at the trade deadline. First of all, he wouldn't go at the trade deadline. That you don't trade a player like that in right before the playoffs. You trade a player like that in the summertime when you can get a bigger haul. Everybody knows that. If I'm going to get a first round pick, do I want to take it from a team that's going to be drafting 28th? Or am I going to try to do better than that in the summertime? I mean, you know, yeah. so um, 
but he is, you know, you say he stepped it up. Yeah, he stepped it up, but last year was an abysmal year for him. I, it's it's more like to me like he's getting back to where he was when he started in this league. But man, he has he shown us how when he gets hot, he gets hot and he gets streaky and he can just put the puck in the back of the net. And so when you ask me about what's going to happen there, you know, my feeling is, and I've said this numerous times, you're a team overall that is, or they can be goal starved at times. This is a guy that can find the back of the net over and over and over and over and over again. And he scored 40 in one year in the past. You don't just let a guy like that walk if you don't have to. If you can't work out the money and you can't work out the term, then that's a different uh, story. But I think you got to find a way to to keep that guy. And uh, to me, I've got my defenseman at Wierenski. I'm, I'm going to build around him. I need a forward to build around. It's not too bad of a forward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's funny you said that, too, because Brad Larson, I believe it was a day ago or two days ago, uh, came out and said, you know, I tell him to take a shot every time, you know, shoot the puck, don't pass it. I tell him to shoot you know, a thousand times, he'll shoot, you know, 10 or whatever it is. But, yeah, I think Line is that guy. I told everyone I think he's the forward to vote around in Columbus. He's young. He's I mean, he hasn't even touched his prime yet. Uh, he's a guy that can play unbelievable hockey. And like you said, when he's hot, he's one of the hottest shooters in the league. Um, but you said trade deadline there. You think the jackets are buyers or sellers this year at the trade down to trade deadline, or do you think they just stand pat? Uh, sellers, I think. I, I think as much as Max Domi has brought a lot of stuff to the table, I just when you look at the economics of it and you see that he's making over five million dollars, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Um, you know, if he's looking for a raise, which everybody is looking for a raise, I don't know if that's going to to fit. I mean, remember when they got him? They, they were getting him. He was billed as a centerman when they got him, and he's been playing as a winger. Now that being said, you know, he could go to a playoff team and he could know what his role is. And I think he could do it very, very well. I think he can make somebody better going into the playoffs. Now, how does that translate into what you can get for him? What, how high of a draft pick can you get for him? I don't know, but um, you know, that's the one guy that uh, you know, it just looks like it makes sense to, to try to get something for him because of his contract status. Um, You know, Jack Roslovic's name has been batted about in this. I don't know. He's still the young guy, just like you were talking about with Patrick Line there a moment ago. And Jack's played better as of late here in the past two and a half, three weeks. Do you want to give up on him at this point? Uh, I mean, if you got to do another deal with him based on his numbers, I think you still come out favorably as an organization on it, right? It, coming off a, a year that he's had this year. But um, I, I don't know if I would be ready. He's playing center. You don't have a lot of centers. And and he's young. So I, that one is, uh, that's a tougher question to me. I, I don't know what might happen with that. And then I, you know, there was a story out last week that said they were taking calls on Alexander Texier and that makes a lot of people, you know, draw a breath. But, you know, the fact of the matter is you start to look at what this team, not just what it is right now, but what it's going to be. And, you know, Kent Johnson's going to come in here when Michigan season is done, I would think. I mean, I don't suspect he's going to go back to Michigan. If they don't win at all, I don't think those guys are going to say, well, let's all come back and do it again. There's too much money on the table for all of them. So uh, I, I would be shocked. So my suspicion is that he's going to come in here and get a look before the season's over. I know the organization keeps on saying that he can play center, but he's he's played wing all through college, played wing in the Olympics. He's a point-per-game guy pretty much in the Olympics playing with men. So I can't wait to see what he does here, to be honestly. But okay, so let's just say that, you know, he's going to be on the wing and uh, Kirill Marchenko is supposed to come over from Russia and he's going to be on the wing. So 
even with a guy like Alexander Texier, maybe you read the room. And if the buying price turns out to be like something you just cannot refuse, you got to consider that, right? You have to consider that. Um, so it, that, that'll be interesting. But I, to me, the only sure bet I would say is Max Domi. I like how you said that too. I mean, the Jackets in a way are, are almost center starved. Um, and you, like you said, you named the prospects. It's a lot of wingers. I mean, a guy you didn't even touch on there, Dmitry Voronkov, another, another. Uh, well, and that, that's another year. So, you know, I'm, I'm just talking yeah. about the immediate future. Yeah, but you're right. But you got to wait another year for him. Yeah. He's another winger, not a center. Yeah. So, I mean, like you said, it's just a lot of guys that don't really have center experience and maybe you sell Domi as a center. I don't know how that would work. Uh, since he hasn't yeah. played, like you said. I, I think it's too late for that, to be honest with you, because at the end of his tenure in Montreal, he was uh, playing on the wing. And now uh, with the Blue Jackets, he hasn't been able to play center. He's been playing on the wing. So I, I don't know that you're going to be able to sell him as a centerman. But he is a winger that can step in and take a face-off, an important face-off, when he needs to. And that's got some value, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, you kind of answered my next question here. I was going to ask you, what do you think the general consensus is the Jackets can catch the Bruins or Capitals uh, in the playoff push and, and possibly find a way in the playoffs? Um, I, I'm taking it your, your answer is probably no if you think they're sellers. I, I think they're sellers, even if um, they could go on another run. I mean, they just went on a run that was unexpected. I, I think that's what this team is. I, th- I think this team, I said at the beginning of the year, this team is not going to be as bad as the people from the outside think that they're going to be. And I think they're going to be in it until, you know, the end or close to the end. I, I think they're going to be in the conversation and they have been. So I listen let's just say you subtract Max Domi and that's the only guy that you take out of this. And you have Texier who's not even playing right now because he's injured and he's got to come back. And Eric Robinson has to come back. And this is not a slight on Max Domi, but I'm, I'm not of the belief that if you take him out of the lineup and put one of those other guys in his spot, that they can't go on another run and pick up a lot of points. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be a tall task. It really is. And I think sometimes you get into games, um, you know, I think the Boston game was one. I think uh, the the Toronto game this week was another one where uh, sometimes you go, this team is good, but they're not quite ready for prime time. They're not quite ready to go to that level yet. But even with that being said, I, I think they're I think they're ahead of their own curve. To be honest, I, I think if the management was honest with you and and you said where you are right now, is it where you expected to be or is it behind or ahead of where you expected to be? I think it's ahead of where they expected to be with this group. Um, so I, I don't know if they can make it, but I cannot, I can't discount it because we see them, you know, go on runs where they win seven out of eight and, and they did it against some really good teams there too. It wasn't all like the, you know, weaker teams on the schedule. This is the NHL. There is no weaker team on the schedule. Even the, you know, the Arizona Coyotes go into Colorado where Colorado hadn't lost at home for three months or whatever it was, and, and they knock them off. So it happens. It happens every single night. But they may they may not make it, or they may, may make a big push and make it. I really don't think the trade deadline is going to be a determining factor for that. Yeah, I mean, you talk about games that you kind of need to find a way to win. It's it's games like the Kings. They, they probably shouldn't have been made, made it to overtime, honestly. They find a way to steal a point there and then, a Boston game where they probably should come away with two and they only come away with one kind of even themselves out. And then again, like last night against Toronto, uh, go down three Oh early kind of have to find a way back, fight hard to get back and then can't finish the job and win the game. It's, it seems like those are the type of games that are going to determine if the jackets can make the playoffs or not. 
And I feel like that's the way the Jackets won't make it. They, they don't find a way to win those, you know, close games, those big games that you have to find a way to win in the NHL. Um, so speaking on that, who do you think, I mean, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but who do you think is uh, your team to win the Stanley Cup this year? Oh, it's hard not to lean toward Colorado. And again, that's a team that I'm going to be really interested to see what they do at the deadline. Um, you know, it, <laughs> here's my thing. And if it's not Colorado, I'm not shocked Tampa is back in there too, because listen, we all know that when you get to the playoffs, goaltending becomes really, really important. It's, it's important all year, but the Florida Panthers are outscoring teams seven to six, nine to eight, and all this stuff all year long. The Blue Jackets went down there a couple of weeks ago and played a playoff style game and held them to three goals. That's what they're going to face in the playoffs. They're going to face a lot of stick checks. They're going to face uh, a lot of getting pushed to the outside. They're not going to be able to dance all around the ice and all of a sudden get seven goals a game. That is a fact of life. It's not going to happen. So then it's going to, a lot of it's going to rely on the goaltender. And listen, I've seen Sergei Bobrovsky, the regular season version. I've seen Sergei Bobrovsky, the playoff version. I've seen the playoff version against the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I've seen the playoff version against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Which one is going to show up? I don't know. I can't tell you. So to me, um, I'm not, I don't take Florida as seriously as some people do at this time of the year because of that. And I'm the same way with Carolina, with Freddie Anderson. Freddie Anderson has played great in the regular season. I saw him in the bubble lose to the Blue Jackets when he was with the Maple Leafs. Okay. So uh, until you prove it to me with those guys, um, I'm still skeptical. Andre Vasilevsky, I'm not skeptical of. I've watched this guy go on two runs and be tremendous and, and win a Conn Smythe trophy. He's still the best goalie in the league. And that's another thing with Colorado, too. So is Darcy Kemper enough there? Uh, do they make a play? Do they find a way to go out and try to get a Marc-Andre Fleury as an insurance policy and a guy that's got Stanley Cup experience there? Uh, I think that would make them a lot better, quite honestly. And uh, but it's, it's all going to come down to that. You know, it's it's funny because you see these goaltenders during the regular season – they're kind of, in some ways, they're under the radar. I mean, even the Blue Jackets goaltending right now. Elvis has given up four game and then five. You know, it's not, you know, I'm not saying it's all his fault, but he's got to be better. You talk about not able to win those games against Boston and, and Toronto. I mean, he's got to be a little bit better. There's some suspect goals there, and he's admitted to that. So, you know, when those guys get in the playoffs and, and the amplitude is way up, we're going to see what they're made of. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. But, I mean, right now, just Colorado's a machine at this point in time. But we've seen machines break down in the playoffs, too. <laughs> yeah, we have. Uh, I mean, real quick, the, what are the odds maybe Jonas Corposalo moves? I mean, Jackets signed Elvis to a long-term deal. Maybe Corposalo's on that market. So, I mean, we've heard Edmonton, they shut that down. Maybe Colorado, maybe that's a team he goes and gets the chance on. He could. Uh, I mean, he could go there. There are a lot of fits there. Jared Bednar was his coach in Cleveland. Um, yeah, I, I think I think what's really unfortunate for both Jonas and for the Blue Jackets is that he came into this season. There was a lot of talk about him being traded, and then he's been hurt a lot. He's been out of the lineup. Elvis outplayed him early. Elvis established the starters net. Um, and and now I, I don't know what you're going to get for him, to be honest. And the way he has played, when he has played, and the amount of injuries he's had this year – if I'm the Colorado Avalanche, I have a hard time saying, you know what? I'm going to get Jonas Corposalo, and I think that's going to carry us to the promised land. I could say that if I was getting Marc-Andre Fleury. 
I, I can't say that as much as I love Jonas Corposalo. I can't say the same thing because I don't know. I've seen him win big playoff series in, in Toronto in the bubble. He was fantastic. Uh, five overtime game against Tampa. He's fantastic. So there's a history. But if but you when you're trading, you're trading on now. You're not trading on a year or two ago. So I think that's going to make it more difficult. I don't see how they're going to get value that they could have gotten two summers ago or last summer. And that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for both. The only thing I hope for Jonas, honestly, Wes, is that wherever he goes, I hope he gets a chance to play. And I hope he gets a chance to be somebody's number one because he deserves it. He's a hardworking guy. He's a great guy. He's a great teammate. I hate to see what's happening to him here, uh, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I hope I hope when he goes and wherever he goes and however he goes, trade, free agency, whatever, I hope he finds a place where he's appreciated and he gets to play. Yeah, I mean – the report came out, you know, Edmonton jackets offered to, you know, receive a second and a third is what the asking price was on Corpusel. Edmonton said, no, I, I like how you said, you know, jackets may miss their chance to get to, you know, relieve him of team and, and get a, a better return for him. A but, while back. but, but here's the other thing though. And, and, and Yarmo is really good for this. So, so maybe he turns that down right now. All you have to do is have one team have somebody get injured between now and the 21st of March. One playoff team suffers one injury to one goalie, and that can change. Yeah, value goes right back up. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you, as always, for your time. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Bob McElliott. Thanks. It was great to be on with you. I appreciate it.